it'll say seven on it. Yeah. Welcome to episode five of the Making Margin podcast. My name is Nick Foy. I'm the founder of Greenway Wealth Advisors. We are a financial planning investment management firm based in the south end of Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, we've got an extra special fun show planned for you today. We are talking about cash money. Uh, how much cash should you hold? Where should you hold it? All sorts of things. We find that people just don't know what to do with their cash. And they say, I want my money working for me. What does that actually mean? So we're going to talk through that. To my right is Allie Crouch. Hi. Hi. Allie is our director of Say it. Client experience. Director of client experience with us here at Greenway. To my immediate left is Jeff Eminger. Jeff is our director of financial planning. Good day, sir. Good day to you, sir. You played golf yesterday, yeah? I did. How'd that go? It was beautiful. It was a nice sunny day, a blistering 40 degrees, (laughs) but it was amazing. I played by myself. Where'd you play? And I walked, and it was awesome. I bet. Uh, Burkdale. Burkdale Village. Good for you. Uh, to Jeff's left, we're going to introduce you to a new friend of ours, Mr. Andrew R. Harris. Andrew Richie Harris. He goes by Drew. I do. I do. Uh, Drew joined our team in November of 2019, November 1st. We're really glad to have you on board as a senior advisor. Tell us a little bit about you. Where are you from? Where were you born, by the way? I was born in Dallas, Texas. At what hospital? My- Ooh, that's a good question. I think part. Actually, hold on. Are oh. the? I guess if you said, I think you don't really know. You would never use this for a security question. Like there are things, there are questions that you have out there that could be common. Like what was the model, make and model of your first car? And well, I where announced were you it born to the office. Too yeah. is another one. That's what I mean. Yeah. I never remember which city I was born in. Seriously. <laughs> it was either Tampa or Plant City, and I never remember which one. Are we they moved near back each other? And, yeah, and we moved back and forth throughout my like younger childhood before we settled in Tampa, so do I you, never remember. Do you have access to your birth certificate? Do you know where that is? Yeah, and I have to look at it. Every time I have to answer that question, I have to go pull it out well, and look at it. what's the answer? I never remember. I don't know. <laughs> Usually they give you more than one chance. So, so you yeah, were born in Dallas. Do you think at Parkland Hospital? I believe so. Uh, and what's your, mother, what's your mother's maiden name? And uh, just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> when, so Jeff and I used to work at Vanguard. And we'd have to ask people these security questions to get them back into their accounts. And some of the things that were there are pretty hilarious. Can you share? Um, I mean, one time it was like, it said, uh, what was your wedding date? And it wrote none. The guy had written none. And then it said, uh, uh, what's your spouse's favorite holiday or something like that? And he wrote none. And so I, all these questions were relating, oh, what was the name of your best man at your wedding? And he said, none. Or he said, no one. And I was like, why did you answer? Why did you choose all these questions if you were married? So I asked him and he's like, I've never been married before. I was like, then why didn't you choose another question? Sorry. There's also, um, what city were you married? And then I've gotten the response, which wedding? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So anyway, tell us, tell us more about you, Drew. So I was born in Dallas, okay. Parkland Hospital, and then lived there for three years, and then moved all along the southeast, uh, lived in Alabama, outside of New Orleans and Louisiana, then Jacksonville, Florida, then got back to Texas to go to college, then lived in Mississippi. At Texas A&M University? At Texas A&M University. Gig'em. Gig'em. I'm impressed. What's that AAA? That's the freshman. They do that. Very good. What did the sophomore say? I, I can't remember. It's something longer. 
No, you're right. I think that it's just the. Oh, wait, there's a whoop. There's a whoop. The, the whoop it, down, so, yeah, juniors whoop can whoop down. Yeah, seniors can whoop up. Okay. It's it's a very established cult. <laughs> he said it. Um, Aggies, if you're listening, I am a two percenter. Sorry. Yeah. So we have. I don't know what that means. Nope. They understand. Okay. There are two people in the room who graduated, completed their undergraduate degree in two years. You, Drew, and you, Allie, both did that. Is that correct? Were you two years? Three. And then one year for your master's? Yeah. So you had an undergraduate master's in four years. Mm-hmm. That's and, impressive. And you had your undergraduate in two years, more or less, or two years on the main campus, but you came with some credits. I did. Okay. No, I don't so, recommend it. Um, well, we're glad to have you here. Jeff, uh, I mean, sorry, Drew. We're glad to have you here, Drew. Um, I'm glad Jeff's here. He's you married. glad to have me too? I'm glad to have you here too, yeah. Uh, he's married to Laura Beth. They That's have correct. three lovely children. Indeed. They live in Charlotte since? Uh, 12 years. So I was in there. 2000. Okay. Uh, 2008. And um, he's a great guy. So I hope you get the chance to know him. And I hope through this podcast, you get the chance to hear his his sultry voice, whatever that, I don't know what that means. Thank you. Today we're talking <laughs> about cash money. And um, there's sort of two extremes that we see. We see people that don't have enough of it. And we see people that have way too much of it, which is sort of an enviable, enviable position, but they don't know what to do. And so they just leave the money sitting in their checking account. And so we see people that show up and they're like, I've got some money in my checking account. I don't know what to do. We're going to sort of deconstruct this from our viewpoint and our vantage point of working with clients uh, for many years now, get to see sort of what people do, what we think correctly and incorrectly, and then talk through some high-level recommendations. None of this is investment advice for you specifically unless we've sat down and talked and we know your situation better, person listening, right? Yeah, everything is individual. Everything's individual, but these are sort of some general guidelines. Um, but I feel like the regulators would have been happy for me to have said that. So I said that. And it's true. It is true, actually. It's a, a lot of times you get a question, well, what about this? Well, I don't know enough. And it sounds like a cop-out if you're not in our industry, but it's really not a cop-out. Because I don't know enough. Like, well, let's. what about this? So, it depends is our favorite answer it for depends. a very good reason. Yeah, it's a good answer. You guys have plans, by the way, for the... What, what's your favorite thing to do for New Year's? What do you like doing? Oh, uh, well, now it's my son's birthday. So hmm. that'll change what we do. But we uh, we have a group of friends that we spend most of our time with, and we do New Year's Eve with them. Um, I like to sleep. <laughs> Smart. I don't do the, the ball drop thing. It's no. not important to me. It's not important. Yeah. We're going to get together with some friends. And, you know, hopefully we'll make it past midnight. But. If it doesn't happen, that's okay. If you're if you're listening to this, it might be past New Year's of might be a new decade already. It might be in the 2020, and that's fine. I'm gonna give you a little piece of advice for how we started handling New Year's. Is that we started doing it GMT. Well, and Netflix actually oh. now releases I know. They a stole whole my bunch idea. of them. Yeah. So now it's just Netflix's idea. I don't know about this. They have um and they do different kids' characters that not characters, actors and stuff that well, and characters. I think they have cartoon yeah. ones too that will do a pretend ball drop so you whenever, can turn it on whenever, whenever you want, you want and pretend like it's midnight so for you your can kids, tell the kids. So you can lie to midnight. your children. I was about to say that. And then yeah, put them to bed. Different name for pretending. Yeah. yeah. So we do it a little bit differently. So we turn on Sky News. Sky News is streams for free on all of your favorite streaming devices. And you can turn it on. And every hour they do a different New Year somewhere in the world. They'll actually show the video of whatever. And GMT we chose because Eastern time, GMT is 7 p.m. is when it's midnight GMT. 7 p.m. here is midnight GMT. And so this is like six or seven years ago now. We had friends over and we said we're going to celebrate at midnight GMT. 
and you can say Happy New Year. And they have London does a great New Year's, by the way, but they'll show lots of different cities uh, that are on GMT, and so they'll flash around or whatever. And you get to see that. You say Happy New Year, you celebrate, and then you can go to bed whenever you want to now. I like it. And you have to imagine on in every other time zone, the ball drop is tape delayed. So like growing up, when if you go to California and you want to watch the ball drop, you're going to watch it on a three-hour tape delay anyway. So what's the point? You might as well watch a live New Year's whenever you want to. What does GMT stand for? Anyone? Greenwich Mean Time. Greenwich Mean Time. Of course you knew that. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So what questions we're going to ask today. What's the right amount of cash to hold? Where should it be held? What should I do if I have too much? What about not enough? Um, thinking through the difference between savings and, in, and investing. Um, and we're going to talk through some of those things. So, okay. Jeff Eminger, think through this. What what are our recommendations? What is the right amount of just cash to have in cash just for cash sake? What do you think? Cash, and I'm using air quotes here. That's a shout out to my buddy, Ryan Shaw. Okay. He'll know what that means. Um, <laughs> it, um, it can mean different things. So cash, um, like checking account, we usually say one to two months just to cover your living expenses. Um, make sure that you're not uh, bouncing payments for auto drafts and things like that. Um, after that, high yield savings or some kind of money market for kind of a, an emergency fund. Um, and then after that, once you have you know three to six months um, of your living expenses in an emergency fund, after that, no more cash. Generally speaking, it should be invested and working for you. Why no more cash? Why can't I hold more? What if I'm very concerned about uh, the nature of whatever external force and I want to have more cash? Yeah, I mean, that's it's a common thing we see and it's a, a real and legitimate fear to have of market risk. But inflation is also a risk and probably leads to more, um, it's probably a more real risk. And we see that, um, so inflation is a very real risk, very different from market risk. It happens more consistently. And it just means that what you save today will buy you less in the future. And that's as big a risk, if not more than the market risk that you kind of have to take on to beat inflation. That makes sense. Yeah. Inflation, inflation is eroding the value of your dollars. So if you have too much that's sitting there earning less than inflation, then the value of your dollars. Are so it feels really good to wake up one day and see that I have a thousand dollars and six months from now, I still have a thousand dollars or maybe plus a little bit of interest. But the reality is that a thousand, that one thousand dollars won't buy what it did six months ago. Right, and if you look longer time frame, that becomes magnified. So if you think ten years down the road, twenty years, forty years down the line, that's a huge impact, and it means that you've basically earned nothing, and so you've actually saved yourself into a really bad situation. Right. I think that's a great explanation. That's good. Um, so checking account. Enough to get you over the next couple months of expenses. Savings account, three to six months. So where do we talk about having that savings account? I've got my checking account at uh, Wells Fargo. Shouldn't I just have my savings account there too? What do you think? Allie, what do you think? Drew, what do you think? No. What do you think instead? <laughs> Why? Um, because most banks, if you go to like Wells Fargo or Bank of America, are going to have 0.01, yeah, interest. something, something less than, in- yeah. Incredibly small. Um, and if you go to like Ally or Oak and 
Oak. Live Oak. Live Oak Bank or something like that, it's usually closer to 2%, if not over 2%. Some of them are over 2%, right? Yeah. Yeah. They have been. I don't. I haven't seen this week where they are. Yeah. It might be a little bit under now. So that's a huge difference. Yeah. It's free money to say... I'm not, I don't have my cash just sitting at Bank of America because I like to have a stadium named Bank of America. I have friends that work there. And so I have this familiarity with Bank of America when in reality, like they are using your money to lend out to other people um, and they are giving you very, very little yield, very little interest on your own money. And you don't have to take on any more risk to have it at another FDIC insured institution that's paying you right now close to 2%. I don't know what the numbers are right now. Anything else on that? Bankrate.com. Yeah, bankrate.com is a good resource. They'll rank. Uh, they have a number of different high yield. Some of these people are paying them like a referral fee and some of them are not. So there's like an extra button you got to click to say, show me all of the numbers. Um, and most online savings accounts have no minimum and no transfer fees and no expectation that you hold any sort of minimum balance in there. Uh, and if you can find one of those that pays a good yield and you can transfer money electronically back and forth to your checking account, then you're in a good situation. Some of them might have a uh, limit on how many transfers you can do per month, but if it's your emergency savings, it wouldn't matter anyways. Hopefully you're not doing it too much. Yeah. yeah. One thought I've got is that definitely there's the inflation risk. And so you're wanting to make certain that your money's working, but also just thinking in terms of personalities and then also life circumstances is that's going to kind of shift the amount that you'd want to keep, you know, in the checking or maybe even the savings at the checking account. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, there's a certain point, think of a sliding scale um, at a certain point where it just, it's not useful. You have too much there. But, you know, do you not like managing the cash and moving it between accounts? Right. Um, do you have, you know, potential unforeseen events coming? Is there job instability? And so that's going to change your weightings and go, I'm going to want to have more cash available, not only in my checking, but also in that high yield savings. And how much do I want to be touching it? How much do I want to be looking at it? Yeah. Um, so thinking, you know, in terms of principles of going, I can't just sit in cash, it's going to erode, but what's going to work for you in your circumstances? Yeah, I think that's a, a great point that the idea of personal capital and who am I and how stable is my job and how stable is my income and how um, how likely am I to get and, and how can I sleep at night because I have a little bit more in cash than the team at Greenway would necessarily recommend? I think that's all that's all good stuff. I know there are a lot of retirees who like to just have a significant amount in cash uh, that's just sitting there. And you know, real, realistically, there's probably better alternatives to doing that. Um, but there, if it helps you sleep at night, uh, even though sort of logically we know that the value of those dollars is eroding, then that's that's fine. As long as we say, yeah, you're still going to be able to meet your goals because you're earning enough. Um, and if you're not, then we're taking on more risk of by, by doing that. And so having an honest conversation about that, that's a good point. Jeff, talk a little bit about the idea of income stability in uh, you know commission-based sales jobs and how we sort of view um, how much should be held in cash for that person versus you know a, a physician who earns you know relatively um, relatively stable income. Yeah, uh, the things that kind of factor into what we recommend in terms of how much emergency savings our clients should have, um, the job stability is a number one. Um, if you have two people that both earn lumpy incomes, you know, they are in commission-based or contract-based work, um, then we're definitely going to lean towards more um, in the emergency fund because there's a chance that 
they need access to cash sooner. You know, if, if the sales dry up or contracts get canceled or, or whatever happens. Um, on the flip side, if you have two people with really stable um, incomes or working for, you know, large corporations or in, in good shape with their jobs, then um, those people can afford to have a lot less in their emergency fund uh, because there's less likelihood that they'll need to draw on it in the short term. Yeah, that's good. Okay, let's talk about that person that everybody envies, the person that has way too much cash. And we've seen people walk in the door with six figures uh, sitting in a checking account or a low-yielding savings account. Um, how do we handle that? What, 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 what are the conversations that we should be having uh, if we have too much in cash? Well, cash drag is the enemy for the long-term investing. Right. Um, and why it comes about is just habits, I think. You know, you, when you get paid from your job, uh, let's assume just like a normal corporate America job, um, you have something that goes into your 401k automatically, usually, and then your paycheck gets deposited in your checking account and inertia just makes it sit there. And uh, that's a, a situation we see pretty commonly. And so the uh, inflation risk, um, talking through like what their goals are and how investing towards those can help, and then automating that, that's how we help people get out of that um, cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And Jeff, I think that you're right in terms of there's a, you know, inertia factor. Um, and, but then there's also going to be for some, um, there may be a behavioral, you know, mm -hmm. factor. And so the, I think the first question, why, you know, why is that there? Um, and it may be indicative of, you know, some fears, um, and some anxieties uh, that are there. Um, you know, and so then how do you address those and then figuring out a plan, you know, accordingly. And sometimes it's not necessarily a bad thing. It, you know, people come in, they have money sitting aside for a home renovation yep, or, yep. or whatever. And so, yeah, like diving into why it's there mm -hmm. is, is first, know, thing, the first yeah. thing, but, uh, and then it's, it's figuring out, all right, well, um, you've saved well, that's great. How can we, you know, we know the home renovations in six months or a year, like, um, you, how can we utilize maybe some short-term bond funds or something like that to, even in that short time frame, there are things that you can do to maximize kind of your investment. I don't know if I'm reluctant to say this, but also with cash drag is that sometimes cash drag actually is beneficial. Um, you know, as a general long-term rule, you know, no. Um, but I mean, there are times where actually it gives you a positive and it serves as a buttress. Um, yeah. So, but the ability to foresee that. Yeah, that's a hard challenging. Part. Yeah. Um, I would say another reason that it happens that people end up with large cash holdings is a lack of goal setting, right? Where they say, well, I don't really know. We haven't really talked about what we want to do, but we don't spend, you know, we're relatively frugal. And so money's come in that hasn't been spent. And so it just sits there because we don't have anything planned for it really. And uh, so setting, sitting down and setting specific goals with specific timeframes of how much we want to spend on whatever those items are. And I know I need to buy a new car. It's probably about five years away. Okay, well then cash probably isn't the best place to hold it for a five-year goal or a 10-year goal. If that goal is a year or less, then cash might be the exact right place to hold it. But to your point, no, to your point, you're sure they're going to be, we're going to have improved returns over certain timeframes when the markets are terrible. But if my goal is 10 years out, nope. then all of a sudden, yep. yeah, right. So the way, um, the way that we were sort of trained to think about this is thinking about the difference between, and I'm sort of skipping to that question, but like the difference between saving and investing, mm -hmm. right? So the idea is like 
Saving is for short-term goals. Investing is for long, long-term goals. So if it's a relatively short-term goal, if it's even within the next two years, and I know that there's going to be money that I expect in a cash flow out to spend money on something, then really that's savings and my money should be pretty conservatively invested. Um, if it's 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, or I don't necessarily have a specific goal, I just know that I want my wealth to grow over the long term, then having money in cash probably you know, probably doesn't make sense. No, it's going to work against you there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Tell us about the person that doesn't have enough cash. Like, uh, how do we, how do we modify our behaviors? You know, assume relatively stable income. Um, how how do we sort of have conversations with the the person that just doesn't have enough saved up and keeps getting themselves stuck because of that? I think it goes back to having a conversation about goals, and usually, it's it's another symptom of the I don't have goals, I don't know what to do with this, this person, instead of saving, just spends it. Mm-hmm. And so I think uh, sorting out what what is important for them in their lives and figuring out a way to automate saving towards those um, helps them to save. And one of those goals should be an emergency fund. And I'm talking through like uh, the importance of that. I mean, you know, we see uh, people that don't necessarily expect to lose their jobs, lose their jobs. And uh, just knowing that anecdotally there are really good reasons to have an emergency fund um, and even things less than that, you know, the water heater breaks and you got to have something set aside um, for when those unexpected things uh, happen. Yeah. I think too, um, most you know people with like a workplace retirement plan, you have a 401k, and it's really easy to automate savings into that. And so people do that because they say, oh, I signed up or I was automatically signed up or whatever. And I'm getting a match from my company. And so money is going into this longer term goal, uh, which is great. You should be probably should be saving into your 401k if it's available to you. Um, but people will automate that and ignore sort of this shorter term, like, you know, what if something happens and I need to have access to cash quickly sort of thing. And um, so that, that's something that we see is that money gets spent because money's there. And so it gets spent. And so we've saved into our retirement goal, which is great. And again, we should be doing. Um, but then we put ourselves at risk for these near term things. And so then you end up with things like a loan on your 401k or having to take a home equity loan or, you know, sort of um, access debt from places that you probably shouldn't be doing it in order to cover expenses that would have been better served by having cash saved up for it. Yeah. Try to automate that decision. Yeah. Um, make it a reoccurring um, pool that goes into that high yield savings account. Yeah. You know, even starting with 10 bucks a month um, and then it can grow. But yeah. if you can remove the, make a one-time decision that's reoccurring versus every month having to save, help you in the long run. Yeah. And I think uh, we have a, a budgeting tool on our website and it's designed to help you think through give, save, spend, right? So the idea that you're, you're giving what you feel led to give and then saving and then spending what's left. And um, oftentimes the people that, that don't have cash set aside are the people that get that order um, reversed. So they're spending and then saving what's left. And uh, so changing that habit is definitely the most important thing. Right. Uh, we found a bank rate did a survey. If you had a $1,000 bill for something such as an emergency room visit or a car repair, what would you do? 
40% of people said they'd pay the cost from savings. By the way, who has a $1,000 emergency room visit? You sniff an emergency room from a quarter mile away and it costs $1,000. Uh, 40% said you'd pay the cost from your savings. The remaining 60% said something other than that. So they either said, okay, we'd finance it with a credit card, uh, we'd reduce spending on other things, borrow from family or friends, take out a personal loan, or something else slash I don't know. So 60%- Or refuse to answer. Yeah, or 3% refuse to answer. 60% of those who responded would do something other than pay the cost from savings for a $1,000 bill. Uh, that was January of this year. Uh, the bank rate did that survey, and we'll link to that in the show notes. Um, but I, I think, like you both said, automating into a place that's a high yield until you hit a certain point, and then stop automating into there and automating into other places yeah. uh, is really important. I think the the feeling that you get from being able to take care of your own, you know, emergency from your own savings instead of having to finance it with a credit card or ask family for help. Like that's worth way more than a thousand dollars, right? Right. So right. Um, the hard part is getting there, but I, I think once people have a little bit of a taste of that freedom and margin, that they'll they'll work towards it more diligently. Right. And I think it ties to budgeting as well. I mean, just putting in a line item for the unexpected. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, my tires are going to go out. Um, there will be Christmas you know, this year. Yeah, there that's w- the thing is those aren't unexpected. Those no. are expected. Those Medical are, expenses. Yeah. It's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and so having to do that. Um, and I think if our spending gets ahead of, you know, just kind of our planning, then, you know, we're just crowded out. Uh, one sort of last thought that I have on this is getting back to these the banking model. Uh, I don't know if it still exists or not. Bank of America had a thing called Keep the Change. Do you yeah. remember that? Where they'd take five, you know, they'd round up and take five cents and throw it into a savings account. And it was really great for Bank of America because now they're getting more, you know, uh, in the door into their savings accounts that aren't paying you very much. And people look in and they think about, well, this is better than nothing. And that's true. It is probably better than nothing, but not by much. Um, and and so what are those alternatives that you can systematize that say there are better things that are out there and how do I take advantage of those? I, someone else had a similar kind of deal. I can't remember who it was or what it was. Wells has one where like for every purchase, uh, $1 gets sweeped over into my savings. Yeah, yeah. So if you use a debit card, that's how that happens? I think so. Yeah. There's a new one now. I think it's some kind of app where they'll just randomly take $3 or $5 or I don't know what the dollar amount limits are, and they'll just move it from your checking to savings. Interesting. And again, it's better than nothing, certainly. Yeah. And if it starts a habit, then that's wonderful. Right. Uh, but nothing beats... Like getting the order right, of right. Give, save, spin. Yeah. Why don't people know this stuff? This seems like relatively low hurdle. They don't um, teach this in school. No, like. they don't. I know when I started working for Greenway, we had, my husband and I had way too much cash because we, and we knew we shouldn't, but we didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. And we knew everything, every cash, we, every dollar we had was set aside for a certain goal for adoption or down payment on a house or a car. So we knew we needed that and we, we needed it somewhere, but we didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. And we just looked on our investment accounts now and we've made like over 10% in, in interest, not interest in results. Not typical. Yeah. <laughs> Past performance, was, no guarantee. Yeah. <laughs> but we were sitting there like, okay, this is great. But also we wasted seven years of having cash that was making one and a half percent in a savings account that like we, we wasted money because we didn't know what to do with our cash. Yeah. yeah. And that's actually better than a lot of people do. Yeah. yeah. I think too, like the numbers, when we think about the numbers, one isn't that far away from three. And so when some, well, I'm making one and a half percent, what do you mean I'm only going to make 3% by taking a little more risk? 
And that's a really big deal over the long term. Yeah. Like a one and a half percent difference can be really big. And when we think about a longer term, like financing education or uh, retirement, whatever else, and we start getting in the six and seven and eight and nine percent range as far as our expected rate of return, uh, that's a really big difference. And um, the numbers on sort of on their own don't sound that significantly different, but they really, really are. And uh, it means a lot of fewer years of working and a lot of fewer years of needing to have income and all that stuff. So. Anything else you guys want to add on that? The only thought, I mean, is the why. You know, you're, you're asking just the question of like, why uh, do we do that, or why uh, do people have that? I mean, it's just the fear. Um, I mean, you know, tip my hand a little bit of just going, you know, coming into the industry, coming into kind of married life um, right after the financial crisis, um, and it makes me think about you know everything you hear about folks who came you know post the depression. Yeah. And that it changed the way that they thought about money. It's mm -hmm. the way they thought about risk and such. And so this idea of wanting to, you know, kind of hoard and preserve all the while, you know, getting eaten away, yeah. um, you know, by those expenses. So, you know, what is causing that? I mean, I think a variety, you know, it could be, you know, ignorance, not said, you know, pejoratively, but, you know, also just a fear and concern and like, I, I don't know what's coming and uh, there. So yeah. trying to deal with those, what root causes. Yeah, I think that's good. I think accountability is so important there to have someone, if, if it's an advisor, whatever it is, and this is obviously self-serving, but somebody to sort of separate you from that emotion and think logically, help you think logically about your money um, and think about it from a, a stewardship perspective and not an ownership perspective to say, all right, what's the best way you know, to steward this based on what we know? Yeah, and, and encouragement. As yeah, well. yeah, totally. And uh, I think that's, you know, that's why people pay us ultimately. And that's why people should be paying their advisor is to act as that accountability and act sort of as a, um, uh, you know, a separator between um, us and the emotional decisions that we can make about our own money. So Absolutely. yeah, that's good stuff. Cool. Thanks so much for being here for this, for the Cash Money, episode five of the Making Margin podcast. We've got a really exciting episode coming up next. We're going to talk to a friend of mine, we're talking about financial planning for premarital, what do we call it? Uh, premarital financial, financial planning. planning. We call it premarital financial planning. Cash, well, I'm sure we'll end up discussing on that episode too. So you get to hear it sort of uh, applied to an individual situation. We hope you'll join us for that. And thanks so much for being here. Mm -hmm.